This is Dan Ariely, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Dan Ariely. Officially, I'm the James B. Duke Professor of Psychology and Behavioral Economics at Duke University. And what do I do? A little bit too many things, and I have a very hard time saying no. Uh, but the, the big things I'm working on these days are trying to figure out how do we get people to save a little bit of money, mostly very poor people, and trying to figure out how to give people more joy from the kind of things we do on a daily basis, trying to get people to be a little healthier, and then lots of other random stuff. So uh, if, if I may, all of those things uh, come from, if you're the person to solve them, A, but if all of, all of those things sort of come from the emerging, I don't want to call it emerging because it's been around for so long now. I mean, when did Predictably Irrational come out? Yes, 2008. Right. So, and, and even before that, we had Daniel Kahneman's work and this idea of be, the, the, the idea of behavioral economics as a way to explain why people don't act like uh, homo economicus. In fact, one of my favorite things on your site, if those of you that are listening, you should check this out. Dan actually did this really cool uh, versions of I'm a Mac and I'm a PC with I think rationally and I think predictably irrationally, which was the that sort of first book. So they all, they all sort of come from that. Um, I guess the, the best starting question would be, how did you become so fascinated with where and when people don't act quote unquote rationally and then also how to get them to act more rationally? Yeah, so, so as, as, as you know well, uh, I, was, I was in hospital for a very long time, and hospitals are an amazing place to observe irrational behaviors. And my, my original interest was to improve my own condition. Um, so there's a the question of how you remove bandages from burn patients, how do you make things less painful, how do you get people to be able to sleep better, what's the role of pain medications, what's the role of control uh, over, over pain. Lot, lots of things like that and of course in the beginning I would just think about them because my, my situation had so much pain and difficulty and complexity but even when I left those things I kept on thinking about how do we improve things. So I think that you know good academics uh, just care about finding out something, just learning and from that perspective I'm not really a good academic because I'm just trying to improve something. I'm, I may be more of an engineer and sometimes I don't know the ultimate solution, for example, with dieting. I don't know the final solution or with pain, but I know there are some things we could do that would get people to be, to be better. So my, my whole approach is actually very, very practical, where I try to find out, here is something we're doing, it's stupid, let's figure out how to fix it. Um, so, so I'll give you an example. Um, I've done lots of research on procrastination and how people waste their time. So a couple of years ago, actually less than a couple of years ago, I, I started a project with two people from computer science, you have Shaum and Jacob Bank, and we, we tried to figure out what are some computer approaches to help people waste their time better. And we studied a few things, we learned a few things, we created some algorithms, and then we created a company to try and uh, get people to actually act in a better way on their, on their intentions. And, and I do this across the board, Try to figure out the problem. What can we do about it? Let's try and see what we can fix. 
Yeah, and I it's a great segue because that's one of the things I love about, and, and maybe this comes from that being a bad academic thing, right? Normally, we're just supposed to do research and then write books about our research, and you totally have done that. Three New York Times bestsellers all dealing with uh, irrationality or the, or the good part of irrationality, or actually, my favorite is the honest truth about dishonesty, which is sort of the irrationality of us being ethical. But then you've also been uh, engaged in a lot of stuff outside just the world of, of writing. So there's there's the movie based on di- dishonesty. There's and then there's the Timeful app, which is this uh, sort of culmination of everything you learned in in how people use time to actually maybe get them to use it a bit better. Tell me a little bit about the Timeful app. Yeah, so the Timeful app is 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 this project, and basically it doesn't have everything I want yet. <laughs> you know, I, actually, another comment about academics is. I used to think that we finish a paper and somebody can take the paper and just create something based on that. And by the process of creating a company and a piece of software, I'm realizing what, what a gap there is between where academic lives and leaves something and where industry can start picking it up. Um, but for example, we found that lots of people are productive on the first two hours of the day. So let's say you wake up at 7, you get to the office at 8.30, you probably have a high productivity from... 830 to 11. Um, but most people use those hours to check Facebook and email. What, what a waste of time, right? If you had only two hours of, of productive time, you should use them in a, in a better way. So now the question is, how do we protect people so that they don't waste their, their time? Or um, here's another thing. Uh, lots of things we care about are big things. Uh, the, you know, at, at our deathbed, very few people regret not writing another academic paper. Um, but lots of people regret not writing a book, not spending time with family, not exercising. And there are lots of things that don't exist on the calendar. Um, there was this beautiful study showing that you give people a, a lecture about the importance of vaccination and 3% go to, vac- to, to get a vaccination. You give another group the same lecture, but you ask them to mark on their calendar when they'll go, and now 26% go. The, the real issue with what we execute and not is what appears on our agenda and what doesn't. So now the question is, how do we get the things that we care about to actually appear on our agenda? So one of the features that we have that I like a lot is we call it project. And you say that you have a paper to write, and we estimate it will take you between 50 and 100 hours, and we break it into pieces and schedule it. You have never scheduled anything that takes 50 hours because, you know, it doesn't fit naturally in any place. Or you said you want to run three times a week. We figure out the right time for you to run three times a week. So if you think about the calendar as the to-do list of when you're going to do what, and you say that whatever is on that list will be executed and whatever is not is not, we want to make sure that the things you care about in life will be, will be executed, they will, will be represented and therefore will be executed. Um, the other thing you, you asked about is the movie. Um, this, by the way, was an interesting experience because we, we do all these lab experiments. So we do lab experiments, we tempt people to steal money from us and we see when they steal more and when they steal less. And questions I, I got from people, and correctly so, is, okay, so, you know, you get people to steal, uh, you know, $10, $20 from you, or sometimes less. How does this relate to big crooks, right? The things we really worry about in society are people who steal in a big way. 
And I had no answer. You know, I, I believe that ex the experiments represent something bigger, but I had no real good answer. So I decided to invite some big crooks to talk to me on film and, and, and kind of just hear their stories. And after hearing 50 stories like this, it, it turns out that they really are very close to the, to the lab experiment. Because what's so interesting is that when you see what these people did at the end, you say, my goodness, I can't believe anybody would behave like this. But when you talk to them about what their first step was, you say, oh my goodness, this is exactly what we had in the lab and the same thing. People are doing it for all kinds, all kinds of reasons. Um, so, so it was a nice, uh, first of all, it was an amazing adventure. Um, but, but it was also very nice to see the relationship between the small stealing that we see in the lab and what people, uh, big cheaters, do in real life. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's something that's near and dear to sort of my self-appointed mission, as it were. Nobody told me to go out and do this, but I, I think you've picked it up exactly on that, and it's why I'm a fan of your work, is there is this total gap between, okay, here's what we can do in a lab with some undergraduates, or what we can do with volunteers, or what we can do with Mechanical Turk, right, and, and use a bunch of different subjects for, etc., but how do we bridge that gap into the practitioner realm? And uh, one of the one of the pieces that I think is most interesting in that is is in how those small incremental steps, for good or for bad, right? I think this is the idea of timeful: is that it'll be small and incremental. You can get to those sort of big goals that are good, but the same thing happens in dishonesty and things that are bad. And uh, often there are things underneath it that we don't necessarily think will uh, will influence. And I guess here's so the the newest project, or actually it's been a project going on for a really long time. How long have you had the column with the Wall Street Journal? Oh, I think almost three years. Okay, so the the newest project is uh, this really cool book that is a, a compilation of this column, which is to me is wonderful because it's the ultimate, here I am, let's figure out how to bridge the gap between what uh, we're doing research in and your own sort of life. And of course, my, my favorite question in all, every column that you've, uh, you've been asked is, what in the world can behavioral economics teach us about such and such, right? My favorite being business because it's a podcast about leadership and organizations and, and business and that sort of stuff. But there is, there's a lot there it just needs that sort of gap to, to bridge so yeah um, so first of all thanks for the, the kind words the, um, the column has been very interesting so I get uh, on, on two grounds one is I get a, a sense of what people are struggling with what kind of questions interest people and I get questions from you know of course I get questions about injuries because of my history I get questions about relationship I get questions about science it, it's really it's really quite exciting um, to kind of just figure out. The other thing, it was an, it's an interesting discipline of trying to write in 640 words uh, three answers. And somehow the, the structure really, really appeals to me. And over time, I started liking it <coughs> more and more. Um, but this, this question about what, what can social science and what can behavioral economics teach, teach business, uh, I agree with you. I think it is an important question because people that look at, at this, this question usually think that social science has some gems of knowledge, right? So I don't know everything about pricing. I ask you a question and you say, oh, based on science, we know X, Y, and Z about, about pricing, right? It's just kind of a gap in information. But I think there are two other things that are just as important. For me, uh, behavioral economics is really the science of humility. 
and 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 then somebody who does research humility uh, hits me in the head every every week when I try something and I think I understand the answer and I realize I don't or the results surprise me in some way or another and when you put your beliefs on on a piece of paper and you put it in an experiment and you run the experiment and you get to confront whether your intuitions are correct or not and whether the intuitions of other people in the lab are correct or not correct you continuously realize that yes I am wrong and I am wrong often and I can be quite certain and feel good about my intuition but but to feel that our intuition can be wrong despite our confidence is an incredibly important feeling and I think something that businesses should embrace you know sometimes you don't have the time to check something so you know go ahead and don't check it but when you have a way to check something it's a really good idea because otherwise you 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 we are fallible and then the final thing is carrying out experiments which again is is kind of the hallmark so you say if you believe that you don't know and if you believe there's a gap now there's a question of how do you find the right answer one way to find the right answer is to run experiments and not just to run experiments but to run good experiments and it turns out it's not as easy to run experiments and not as easy to run good experiments but I think that if businesses would a take our insights take the humility and do experiments everybody would learn much faster and will do much better well and I think that's an interesting uh, it's a great point because I think that's the sort of there's a huge leadership lesson there right I think so often we feel like in order to move up in a hierarchy in order to be trusted by shareholders or, or whatever it is we have to have the right answer right yeah and in order to take on that experimental mindset like you said it's an act of humility you have to be comfortable being wrong to begin with which I'm not sure a lot of leaders are comfortable being told being able to say I'm wrong C certainly not I, I know that it happens with consulting companies Ma many time I I used to talk to consulting companies, I, I said, let's just tell the clients that you don't know and propose an experiment. And the consultants are not willing even to test this idea. <laughs> they are so sure it will not work that they say, no, 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 no we have to be sure. They are, they are buying our certainty. And I don't know if they're right or wrong, uh, but I think we do have to have some openness to the idea, here is what I believe, I might be wrong, Here's a relatively cheap way to, to test it, and, and it, it's worthwhile investment uh, to test it, but it is, it is counter to what we think other people want from us. We usually don't think that if somebody asks you for advice, a good answer is to say, I don't know, here's a way to figure it out. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I think you're absolutely right, and it's a difficult thing. And especially, I mean, I guess uh, one of the weird ironies of that is that not only have you developed that humility, but in starting the Wall Street Journal column, you've now been asked for three years questions you may or may not have had the answer to. Am I right? Yeah, and and I often say I don't know, but here's a personal experience, and I I, I try to to do this. And sometimes I even invite people to run experiments. So there was a guy, there was a guy who talked about uh, there was a beggar in the train station that asked him for 85 cents I think and he said you know why did he ask me for 85 cents why didn't he ask for a dollar and I kind of speculated why it was and then I proposed that he become a beggar for two weeks and we figure out uh, and, and, and ask for money in different ways and we figure out how, what's the right way uh, to do it uh, so yes I, I I try to do this both in the in the column in my research but also in life I, I try to test new things and figure out where I'm right and wrong. Yeah, well, and, and it's one of the reasons I, I love your work a lot is that I think most even authors, etc., come in, here, I'm going to give a talk, here's my model, here's my ideas, go 
go do it, right? Instead of, I, I don't know, here's what we here's the surprising things we've found so far, and the lesson is, the world's going to surprise you, right? So you need to do good experiments. Yeah, I, I, definitely feel, I definitely feel much more like a tour guide than an expert, right? Where you basically say, here is what we know so far. And I, I also um, cherish questions that, that challenge me because they say, you know, this is just what we know so far. It's not, if, if you're challenging what kind of the next step and so on, you're just participating in the scientific process. You're asking more questions. That's, that's just the right thing to do. Um, my, my authority comes from the fact that I've read a few papers and done a few research projects. I can tell you what, what I know. But, but it doesn't mean it's the final point. This is just of where we are right now. And it's also a very collaborative process because anybody can have ideas and can propose new experiments and it's just, just part of the, the process. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And if, you, if you're listening and you want to sort of figure out what does this look like in everyday walks of life, well, we, give you, we can give you three years' worth of that collected <laughs> in, in the new book, Irrationally Yours. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it the, uh, the fourth of Dan's New York Times bestsellers. We'll just predict that uh, already. Um, I wonder, though, I'm going to ask you two questions because you like being asked questions. They probably won't challenge you, though. Uh, okay. but we'll ask you the two questions we ask everybody on the show. The first you, you is... You asked me questions that challenged me when we met last time, so I think it's okay. That's fair. Yeah, no, that's true, actually. I'm, and I'm still actually thinking through answers from that. And uh, for those of you that, that are listening, Dan and I met about uh, in person about maybe a few weeks ago, and I asked him this great question about how does he balance work-work life? Right, work-life balance. There's a lot of resources on, but what do you do when you're a professor and you have this other hat, work-work balance? But that said, uh, so here's our two questions. The first is, what are you reading right now? So what am I reading right now? So I'm actually reading uh, the Double Helix by uh, James Watson. Uh, so I I actually regret a lot not understanding more about biology. Uh, I think it's an amazing uh, kind of science. Um, I wish I took more in college. I didn't. Um, so, so he has kind of the, the story about the discovery of the double helix and how things followed. So that's what I have right now on my desk. I, I'm with you on that. I used my gen ed biology class to go scuba diving in Cozumel <laughs> and got credit for it. So, And that, now, of course, I have no I kingdom phylum. I can't tell them all apart. So our, our last question, and, and I know that on some level the answer is the, the new book, but what, uh, what's next for you? What are you working on? What's next for me? So th- the first thing is this, uh, this movie on dishonesty is coming out uh, very soon. It will air in a few film festivals, and then we'll see what happens. But what is more important, I think, is to ask the question. You know, when, if people go and see a movie, they see a movie, and then it will impact them a bit and go away. There's a question of what do we do for more sustainability? What's the longevity of this? So we create a little confession booth that we ask people to confess, and we're creating an app that would let people confess some things, and we hope to keep the discussion alive for longer than just going to a movie and then uh, going out. The, the second thing is we did this project in uh, a slum in Kenya in called Kibera, in which we tried to get very poor people to save a bit of money, and by giving them a tangible physical representation of their savings, we actually increase their saving more than by giving them a 20% match on their saving. And I have to say that the, the, the impact of this tangible representation of savings surprised even me. So now we're looking more deeply into try to understand 
how do we get people to represent, you know, non-tangible things in a way that gets them to have daily motivation to care about them? Uh, so, so if you think about savings, when do you think about savings? Not, not often. What happens when you have something at the home that reminds you about saving? We find that people just start saving more on every day of the week. And, and what, do we do? what do we do next with that? And then the last thing I'm doing is I'm trying to think about what is the role of academia of my type, our type, the kind of decision-making behavioral economics, um, on technology. So, you know, Timeful is, is one example for this, but what else could we do? How do we help the world take those ideas and translate them in, in a better way? And I don't exactly know how it would look like, but I think that we're going to take a direction in the research center of getting more into technology, maybe inviting some programmers to hang out with us, maybe doing some things with startups. I'm not sure yet, but uh, that's on the horizon. Hmm. You know, as a, as a hint, just to throw it out to you, I was just listening to the second to last episode of the Freakonomics podcast, uh -huh. and they interviewed this woman who does a lot of her research is in uh, oh, temptation bundling, you know, the idea that yes, you take something take you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she yeah. was talking about her study with letting people listen to to mo like really, really addicting audiobooks, but only when they're at the gym. And she started yeah. talking about what if there was a way to make Audible like tagged by location, so you would set your location as the gym, and now you can only listen to the book in that location, right? Which I think is really again a, a great way to sort of use technology to bridge that that gap. So it's really cool. In, Absolutely. in the meantime, there's a, there's a lot of ways that we are bridging the gap, that Dan has been bridging the gap for a while. There's three previous books, the new one, Irrationally Yours, the new movie, Dishonesty, The Truth About Lies, which is a great title, by the way. Um, so there's a bunch of ways to check them out. Dan, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. My pleasure, and looking forward to next time.